you a question. How many of you throughout your life have written a letter to somebody? And when you wrote that letter, you, at the start of the first verse, so the first paragraph I wrote, uh, to my dearest Del. But before I did that, I put a little number one. To my dearest Del. Then full stop. Then I wrote a little number two. How you going, Del? Full stop. Then I put a little number three. Hope you're doing well, Del. Full stop. Anyone write a letter like that? No, you just write the letter, don't you? Well, guess what? This letter wasn't written exactly like this either. The little numbers that you see were added later on to make it easy for dummies like me to find things in these ancient documents. So when someone says Isaiah uh, 61 verse 1, I can go there and find it. Otherwise, if they just simply said what it says, I'd have no hope in anywhere of finding it. I'd be flicking through the whole thing, looking at all the words, and I don't read that quick. So these things are there to benefit me. So that's a great thing. There's another thing that's added in your Bible, and it's these little topical headings. So when you turn to Mark chapter 11, what does it say at the top of your Bible? The, someone, the triumphal entry. Exactly right, thank you. It says the triumphal entry. Now guess what? Mark didn't write that either. Okay, that was also an additive. Now that, in my opinion, is a bad additive because straight away before I even read that, it tells me what I should be looking for in that passage. Now I believe that God has so much more to say to us than just that. Quite often when we pick up the Bible, we read that little heading there and we forget that that's just, that's just the, the, what, what somebody has put in to say, this next little bit of writing is about that. But there's so much more in that than just that. So we don't want to limit ourselves to just what whoever wrote that title says, this is what God will speak to you about when you read that passage. He's just going to tell you that Jesus got on a donkey and went into Jerusalem and it was a great moment. That's what they're saying. So when you read it, all you're gravitating towards is that train of thought. But I want to say this to you. God speaks to us in many and varied ways. And there is so much more meat in the Bible. There's so many more things that God wants to take out of the pages of this book and speak to you, your life, in this moment, in this current situation, whatever you're going through, God can speak to you. And he can speak to you through the most random of, 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 of things. Have you ever picked up a, a, a Bible and, and been reading it and something speaks to you a, a particular way and somebody else, you might share with them, this is what I feel like God said to me, and they're sitting there going, that's wrong. You go, no, it's not wrong. That's what he was saying to me out of that. This is what, you know, I'm not building a, a, a church on this thought. I'm just saying to you, in that moment that I picked this up, God spoke to me, and here's how he applied that to my life. So what I want to do right now in Mark 11 is speak to you a little bit out of Mark 11. I want you to, to forget about the triumphal entry because I think there's something else in there. And what I'm going to do is spend the next few weeks unpacking a particular train of thought. So we're going to start by just reading Mark 11, and I'll let you know what that uh, train of thought is, and, and hopefully you pick it up. Mark 11, 1 to 6. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem, who's, who's they? It's a whole bunch of people, a big crowd that are actually walking with Jesus. So Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. When he gets there, this is just the last sort of two, three days of his life. So we've got all the history of, 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 of nearly three years of healings and miracles, signs and wonders, teaching, preaching, um, uh, confronting, all that sort of stuff. So this is the back end of his life. There's only a few days left. 
And so what he's doing is he's heading into Jerusalem, knowing that when I get there, that's when I'm going to be confronted, and that's when I'm going to be nailed to a tree, I'm going to be crucified, not for anything he did, but for what we've done. But he was going to defeat death by raising from the dead three days later. Again, if you're interested in checking it out, there's a lot of stuff in these books, which, by the way, were not religious books. There's a lot of evidence and proof out there for the fact that that actually really happened. If nothing else, take a look around this room at the people whose lives have been transformed by an apparent dead man 2,000 years ago. There's more to the story than just a religious bunch of information. Mark chapter 11, verse 1 to 6, When they drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you've entered it, you'll find a colt tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it, and if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Let me paint you a picture. Anyone ever seen the movie Mission Impossible? Yep. Who knows the theme music for Mission Impossible? Anyone? Someone start humming it to me. Come on, someone's got to know it. Everyone says, yeah, I know. Come on, the theme music. How does it go? Is it something like that? Who knows that music? Okay, hey. Sounds like Star Wars, whatever it is. Hands up if you know the music I'm talking about. Okay, now hands up if you're prepared to hum it really loud for me, just for 10 seconds. Anyone? No? Okay, I want you to still imagine in the background. And here it is. This is is kind of how this scene outplays. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to go to that village over there and you'll find a colt tied to a post. Untie the colt that does not belong to you. Steal, untie, you can interpret it however you want. When you are confronted, simply tell them that Jesus needs it. If at this point you are captured, I will deny any knowledge of your actions. This papyrus will self-destruct in 10, 9, 8. This is a radical request that Jesus is making of these people. I want you to stop and think for a moment. Here's how it goes. Jesus is walking with a big crowd and he has a task that he wants these two particular people to do for him. And so he says this to them. He says, you two, come over here. I've got a job for you. I want you to go over the road into that village. At this point, they're going, sweet. He wants us to do something. He's speaking to us. We're we're, we're obedient. We're going to do it. And then he says, when you get there, you'll find a colt tied to a post. They're thinking, awesome. He told us to go over there. We're going to find a colt. So we'll walk over there. We'll find the colt. It'll be a miracle. Our faith will be built because how did Jesus know that? Well, he knows all things. So when you step out and you do what he said and you get the end result, it builds your faith. This is awesome. And he says, and when you see that colt, walk over to it and untie it. Hang on a second. (laughs) Go to the village. And I'll find a cult. That's awesome. That's fun. That looks great. Sounds good. Untie the cult. Hang on a second. You mean steal someone else's donkey? Are you telling me to steal someone's donkey? And you know what happens if you steal a donkey? Jesus, have you ever read Exodus chapter 22? Exodus chapter 22 outlines what happens to people who steal someone else's donkey or calf or cow or whatever. And do you know what it says you can do to them? It says if you catch someone stealing a donkey, stealing your livestock, you can beat them to death in broad daylight and there'll be no punishment for you. It's there. It's written in here. However, if you catch them at night time and you beat them to death, well, there could be a consequence for that. So if you beat someone to death for stealing your donkey in the daytime, nothing happens. And Jesus, you're telling me to go to this village and steal a donkey. 
You're also telling me that when I get to the donkey, someone is actually going to say to me, what are you doing? So in other words, people are going to see me doing it. And then you want me to say to them, Jesus wants it. And you think they're going to go two thumbs up? Sweet. Are you serious? I mean, the start of this journey sounds exciting. Go across to the village. Jesus, I'll do that for you. You'll see a donkey. Awesome. My faith will be built. But when you see the donkey now, I want you to untie it. Hang on a second. Now it's getting a little bit more, you know, this could cost me something. I'm not sure about the untying bit. Not only untie it, but I'm going to be busted. And you want me to give some lame excuse such as Jesus wants it. Jesus wants it. This is a radical request that Jesus is making to these people. What's more radical is the fact that they actually did it. They actually went and did it. I don't think that God has stopped making radical requests of his people. But perhaps we live in a time where there's a lack of radical responders. I don't think God's got a lack of radical ideas and radical things that he wants to do anymore. But I wonder whether the church is so sanitized that we're not open to the radical kind of response that God wants from us. Maybe we've made the Christian life so comfortable that there's no room for radical responders anymore. Maybe we've made God so socially acceptable that there's no room for radical responders anymore. I wonder, are you a radical responder to God? Am I a radical responder to God? See, I think what God wants right now is God's looking for radical responders. You know, it's interesting. We don't know the names of these two disciples. What we can, I guess, surmise is this. Those two disciples were not part of the 12. Now, we can know that because every time Jesus asks the 12 to do something, he either A, mentioned them by name, or B, said they were numbered with the 12. These guys don't get any of those accolades. They're not mentioned as being members of the 12, one of the the elite, I guess, or his deepest inner circle. We don't know a lot about these these radical responders. We don't know their names. We don't know their backgrounds. We don't know their educational status. We don't know if they had any theological knowledge or not. We don't know how together they were, whether they'd kind of reached this pinnacle where Jesus was able to use them or were they still somewhat dysfunctional as human beings. We don't know any of that stuff about them. They're relatively unknown. They're a blank canvas for us. But there are a few things we can know based on what we read in the story. And so over the next few weeks, I want to unpack some thoughts about characteristics of radical responders. I don't know about you, when I gave my life to Jesus at 19 years of age, there came a moment at 19 where I realised that what I had in life was just not enough. I was the life of the party, but when I went home by myself, I was depressed. Everybody would look at me and go, he's got it together and, and, and he's got a great friend base and he's got, you know, he can walk into a room and make everybody laugh. Uh, I play sport and I was quite good at sport, could play at a high level. But when I would go home by myself, I was depressed. I would sit in my room and it was like this cloud would come over me. If this is all there is to life. I remember 19 years of age waking up in my bed after being out with my mates that night. And we, I had people sleeping on tables in my caravan. I was living in a van on the floor all over the place. And a thought popped into my head. If this is all there is to life, Alan, why don't you end it? 
And that was the moment where I knew if I had something within reach of where I was sitting, I wouldn't be standing here today. And it so scared me that I began doing what I talked about before. I started looking into this Jesus character. Is there more to life? Does he have some answers? Because he makes some pretty bold claims. And if he can predict his own death, burial, resurrection and pull it off, then I think I need to listen to everything else that this man has to say as well. So that began my journey with Jesus. In the very early days of my walk with God, you know what? I, was, I would have called myself a radical responder. I didn't care what people thought. Jesus, what are you saying to me? I didn't care uh, if God wanted me to talk to someone about him. I didn't care. I didn't sit there and, and mull it over and try to work it out. What if they get offended? What if they don't want to hear? What if they laugh at me? What if they don't want to be my friend anymore if I invite them to come along to church? Or, or, or what if that sick person says no and I want to pray for them? I used to have the attitude, what if they do? And so in the, I could be in the streets and I'd walk up feeling prompted by the Holy Spirit and, and go and say to someone, can I pray for you? Because I didn't live in a world of what happens if it doesn't. I lived in a world of what happens if it does. Instead of seeing a guy that doesn't get out of a wheelchair and a crowd around me laughing, I saw a guy jump out of a wheelchair and go, praise God. I saw a crowd standing back going, what the heck just happened then? I saw myself standing up on a bench going, hey, let me tell you how this happened. There's a man called Jesus. I saw Tracy Grimshaw ringing me up saying, come and sit down on on a current affair and I'm going to interview you. And I saw myself telling the world through the TV cameras, you need to come to Jesus. You won't find life and peace and joy and true fulfillment until you do, until you make that decision. That's what I saw. And sometimes I look at my life now and go, do I still see all that? And I wonder for you, when you first came to Jesus, were you a radical responder? Did you just do what Jesus said? You responded to what Jesus wanted. Both the written word of God and the spoken word, when the Holy Spirit would highlight something and say to you, I want you to deal with this, I want you to, 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 to say, go, do, whatever it would be. Were you a radical responder in your early days? It seems to me that the further we go on with God, the more knowledge we get about God, it seems to nullify that radical respondedness inside of us. I don't know why that is. I don't think it's the intention and the will of God. So I want to talk to you over the next few weeks about characteristics of radical responders. Who wants to be a radical responder? I want to be a radical responder to Jesus. I don't want to be just another religious person running around planet Earth telling the world, hey, God is so good you should follow him when I'm not really doing it myself. I want to be a radical responder. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a look at what it means, some characteristics of radical responders. And I just want to touch on one of them today. And the first characteristic of a radical responder that I want to touch on today is this. Radical responders are followers, not just believers. Radical responders are followers, not just believers. You know, I believe in a lot of people. I believe in the existence of a lot of people, historically. But I don't follow them. But I believe in the existence of them. James, I think it's James chapter 2 where James talks about, uh, about be doers of the word, not hearers only. And he goes through this, this, this basic common sense uh, 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 sort of treatise. And, and he writes smack bang in the middle of it. He makes this statement. He says, you believe in God. Even the demons do. And they tremble. Why do they tremble? Because they believe, but they're not following. But one day they will follow a final instruction from Jesus, and they won't have a choice about it. But right now, down here, you and me have this thing called free will, and we have a choice. Are we believers, or are we followers? 
The first characteristic of radical responders is that, that they are followers, not just believers. I saw a photo the other day, and I, I, I wish I could have got it. I would have put it up on the screen. And it was a picture of Jesus, and he's sitting on a log, and he's talking to a, a young guy about Elijah's age, and he's talking to him. And, and he's got this look on his face where you can tell Jesus is really he's trying to get this point across to this kid. And here's what the, the caption on the bottom, it said this. I've written it down. It says... No, I'm not talking about Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. I literally want you to follow me. (laughs) I'm not talking about Twitter following or Instagram following or Facebook following. I'm talking about I literally, literally want you to follow me. And so with that thought in mind, I jumped on Google, the great academic place that it is and typed in these words what does it mean to fault fo- what does it mean to be a follower guess what i found page after page after page nothing to do with following a person all it was was how to follow someone on twitter what it means to follow on facebook how you follow someone on instagram and i thought is this what people hear when they hear jesus saying follow me are they hearing jesus say be my friend on facebook Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Insta. All the other social platform things that are out there. Is this what people are thinking when they hear Jesus say, follow me? Well, let me tell you something about the type of following that that does. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, that kind of following. That kind of following, it requires nothing of you. It requires nothing of you. All you need to really do is pick up your phone every now and then and have a look at what somebody put up. That's it. There's zero requirements to follow them other than to press Follow. It's a once in a lifetime activity. You press the follow button once and you're in. You're there. That's all that matters. You are now officially a follower. It doesn't matter what anyone says. You can say, you don't think I'm a follower? Have a look at that. Follow. There it is. I'm a follower. Well, Jesus doesn't have a Facebook page. He doesn't have a Twitter account. He doesn't have an Instagram account. And he's not going to allow you just to push a follow button once in your life and say, there I am, I'm a follower. Pressing the button is when you believed. That's that first step of faith, of coming to Jesus and saying, I'm going to turn my life over to you. That's like pushing the follow button. But in the Instagram world, following requires nothing more of you than that. But following Jesus requires a little bit more than that. Following in the Instagram world costs you nothing. It costs you zero. As a matter of fact, it costs the person you're following because they're the ones that have to keep putting some kind of picture of their Sunday turkey sandwich with a little piece of leafy green just in the right spot. They probably paid someone to come and design that sandwich so they could get another 10,000 followers. It costs you nothing. It costs them everything. Because they've got to keep outdoing themselves. They've got to keep giving you something. Keep, keep throwing carrots at you. Keep you following. Because you can unfollow anytime you want. And they don't want you to unfollow. So, so it costs them a lot. It costs you nothing. But Jesus comes along and makes this statement. If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. It costs you nothing in today's follow world. But Jesus following, it costs you something. Following in Twitter world, it's all about knowing information. It's about knowing information. You don't need to know whether the information is true. 
You don't even need to know whether they actually believe it. The person putting it up there doesn't even need to believe it. It's just about handing out information to people. You know, many years ago, not just once, it's happened a few times, um, but in particular, me and my wife were, were counselling a young couple and they were going through terrible, terrible marriage problems and they're literally sitting in our lounge room talking about how they're, they're, a, they're a stone's throw away from separation. And we're sitting there and we're, we're trying to listen to God and we're trying to help them through that process so that they wouldn't just throw their marriage apart and they would stay together. They had kids. And the same time while we're sitting on our lounge talking to them about where they're at in their marriage, they're posting pictures on Facebook and saying, oh, this is my husband. He's the greatest thing in the world. I love him so much. Oh, we're so in love. We're so great together. We're, and we're sitting down trying to keep you guys together. It's a lie, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's just about information. Who cares? People are watching it going, oh, oh. Now, if I ever get a chance, I want what they've got. No, you don't because you don't know what they've got. You just know what they want you to think they've got. Following online requires nothing of you. It costs you nothing. It's about knowing information. There's no accountability. They don't care what you do with the stuff they're giving you. I follow this, this, this Indian chef on YouTube. He's got a YouTube channel and I follow him and he makes the most amazing Asian and Indian dishes. But you know what? Never once has he ever contacted me and said, so how are you going with my fried rice? Are you doing it? Is it doable? Can I help you? He doesn't care. He's just putting it up there and just wants to know that people are following and looking. There's no accountability. I don't have to cook that meal. Who cares? You can, you can give me the best advice, the most pleathy slogan you can think of. Inspirational quote. Who cares? There's no accountability with it. I don't have to do anything with it in today's following world. And finally, it's self-centered. It's self-centered. I can follow you today and if I don't like what you have to say tomorrow, I'll just unfollow you. I can be your friend right now and when I don't groove with you anymore, I'll just unfriend you. If you challenge me too much, I just won't listen to you. I'll just walk away. I'll just, all I've got to do, I press a button to follow, I press a button to unfollow. It's that simple in today's following world. Press a button and I'm in. Press a button and I'm out. It's all self-centered. See, following Jesus is an action. Followers of Jesus are doers. They're not just contemplators. We're not just thinkers. We're actually doers. When God speaks... They act. You know, I want to share with you right now what I think is the most amazing piece of literature ever penned, ever written in the history of literature. If I told you that this was the, the, the greatest thing you'll ever read in the history of mankind, you will probably, you would probably laugh at me. But I'm going to explain to you why it is. And you've got it. It's right there in your lap. Turn with me for a second to Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke, he writes the book of Luke. That's like chapter 1, volume 1. Then he writes a second volume, and it's called Acts. It's the first 30 years of the church. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. I would encourage everybody here, memorize this verse, and I'm going to explain to you why. And it goes like this. The former account, and he's speaking about the book of Luke. <laughs> 
He says, The former account I made, O excellent Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Did you get it? The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. He didn't say the former account I made, Theophilus, of all that Jesus did and taught, full stop. He said the former account I wrote, the book of Luke, was what Jesus began to do and teach. And what I'm about to write is what Jesus continued to do and teach. So Jesus is continuing to do things and teach things. Jesus is continuing to communicate. He's continuing to take ground. He's continuing his activity in your life and through your life in the same way that he was active in and through the lives of the believers in the Bible. God's activity hasn't ceased. It hasn't stopped. I go back to my initial question. Has God stopped making radical requests of us or have we just simply stopped being radical responders? Jesus began to do and teach. He is continuing to do and teach through you and through me. There's more ground to be taken in my world. There's more ground to be taken outside my world. There are more things that he wants to do in my life. There are more things that he wants to do in your life. There are more places in my heart that I need to open up to him. There are more opportunities out there in the world for me to bring glory and attention to the person of Jesus than what I currently am doing. God's got radical requests of me, but am I going to be a radical responder to him in those areas? All that Jesus began to do and to teach. Every time God speaks to you, it's a confirmation of what Luke writes, that Jesus began and Jesus continues. Jesus began and Jesus continues. Now Mark 4, 9, Matthew 4.19, Jesus said this. This is when he calls his disciples. And he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say believe in me, he said follow me. I want you to come and I want you to follow me. I want you to be active in your pursuit of me. I want you to go where I'm going. I want you to, 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 to come with me to the places that I'm going. And in our original story, he was going with a whole crowd. And in the midst of where the crowd was going, he singled out two individuals and said, I've got another task for you. So we're all going somewhere as a crowd. We're all marching towards the pearly gates. One day we will fall off the cliff of this life. It's okay. We're going to land in this safety net called heaven. And we're going to spend eternal life with God. That's what we believe. That's why, as believers, we're not afraid of death. Because it's not the end. It's not a light snuffed out. It's just stepping into another room of the house. And the next room we step into is going to be way better than this room. And so because we have that hope, we're not afraid of death. Death has no fear. Does it mean that I'm not sad that I'll depart and leave? Yeah, there's sadness. But it's coupled with the great joy of knowing what I'm going to. But Jesus says to these disciples, he follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I've got about five minutes left. I want to give you uh, three quick things about following. Three fruits of true followers, and here it is. Followers are yes people. Followers are yes people. Believers, for a believer, someone who believes, it's just enough to know. But followers want to go. Believers want to know, followers want to go. Where are we going? Followers of Jesus are yes people. Anyone seen that great Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man? Anyone seen that movie? Yep. Great movie. Yes, about a guy that says no to everything all the time. And as a result of saying no to everything, his, the fruit of his life is the fruit of saying no. And so this man comes into his world and, and challenges him at a seminar to start saying yes to life. Because when you say yes, you get the fruit of yes. 
And the fruit of yes is life, the fruit of no is death. And so here's a line out of that movie. This is what the gentleman says to Jim Carrey's character. He says, you say no to life and therefore you're not living. And I look around the church and I feel like we could say that in the church. You say no to God in your life, therefore you're not living the life God has for you. Because you keep saying no. He comes and says, I want you to forgive, you say no. He comes and says, I want you to, that, that sin, that thing in your life, I want you to go and make yourself accountable, and we say no. He says, I want you to start praying, we say no. He says, I want you to, to, to stop that, uh, that, that habit that's in your life, I want you to break free, we say no. He says, I want you to go back to that moment in your childhood when you were hurt, when that thing happened, and I want you to begin the process of healing, and we say no. And so every time Jesus comes, we say no. And so if we're that kind of believer that says no, when God comes to our world, we end up with a life that's not the life God wants because the life God wants to get us to is given to the people who say yes. Yes, man. Yes, man. Yes, man. Yes. Followers are yes people. Followers are yes people. Second thing, followers are transformed people. You are transformed by what you do, not by what you know. I have had a bad back for most of my life. When I was about nine, I think it was, I was in a, a car accident in Sydney. And uh, we got T-boned going through this intersection on a major road. And I've had back problems my whole life ever since then. Uh, and that's nearly, what, 30, uh, 40 years. 40 years of, of back problems, lower back. I've seen chiropractors. I've seen physiotherapists. I've seen specialists for this, specialists for that. I've had bending surgery, twisting surgery. I've had electrolysis. I've had all kinds of things done on me like some kind of test crash dummy for lower back problems. But you know what? All across all of those things, there have been some consistent things that every single specialist and doctor and, and, and people have told me, and it's this. They've given me basically five exercises, and every single person has said, do these exercises and stretches every day. So you know what I've done for the last 40 years? None of it. I don't do it. Who needs that? I haven't got the time for it. It's too invasive in my time, and I'm not, I don't want the discipline of all these reasons why I don't want to do it. Now... Last year, December, as some of you know, I played touch football and I go away to the state championships every December down at Port Macquarie. Now, I couldn't walk. I could barely walk. The pain was so bad. And so you know what I did? I had this radical thought, absolutely radical thought. Why don't I start doing what they've told me to do? Because where I'm standing now is the end result of not doing what they told me to do. And not doing what they told me to do sucks. I'm in pain. It's uncomfortable. It hurts. So I've not done and I'm living in the fruit of not doing. So I decided, why don't I just do what they're asking? Maybe, fingers crossed, maybe I'll get there and I'll be able to play. So for 12 weeks, I got out of bed in the morning and I did every stretch. And every night before bed, I did the stretches. And guess what? I got to that tournament and I ran out there and I felt like I was an 18-year-old boy again. I played so well, I joint tied for players player. My peers voted, said I was one of the best players there over the weekend. I was a little bit sore, but I made it through the tournament. The unfortunate thing is, as soon as I got what I wanted out of it, what do you think I did? I've stopped stretching and I'm in a world of pain again. We're not transformed by what we know. We're transformed by what we do with what we know. The wise and foolish builder, everybody knows the story. What is it? It says that the man that heard what Jesus said and did it, we're going to call him wise. So when you do what God says to you, you are what? Wise. God said that, not me. I might not think you're wise, but God says you are. 
if you do what he says. But guess what? Those who heard what Jesus had to say and didn't do it, he had a word for them too. Now, I'm not calling you this. Blame Jesus if you don't like it. But if you hear the words of God, you know what he says in this book. You know what he's speaking to you through his Holy Spirit. And you're doing nothing with it. Then Jesus says you're a... Everyone loves to say wise in public, don't we? But nobody wants to say the F word. Fool. Jesus said it. Don't blame me. Don't get mad at me. Jesus said it. The wise builder, what he did was he, he, he took the words of Jesus. He did it. And guess what? He got the fruit of obedience. And what was that? When the storms came, his house stood firm. It's still standing, baby. The person that heard and didn't, guess what? They got some fruit out of it too. Their house collapsed and fell down. Like me with this pain in my body. It's not what you know that transforms your life. It's what you do with what you know. Knowledge puffs you up and makes you proud. Action brings change into your life. And finally, followers are moving people. Followers are heading somewhere. You see, everything that God is speaking to you, everything that he's asking you to do in this book, everything that the Holy Spirit's speaking into your own personal world to you to do, as you respond with a yes and you do it, every single thing is taking you one step closer to being the person that God wants you to be. It's all designed to conform you into his image. It's all designed that you will get closer to him. It's all designed that you will become more and more human. God wants us to be fully human. Don't kid yourself. You're not fully human. The world takes a lot of your humanness out of you. It smashes it out of you. It talks it out of you. It puts you down. It tells you you're nothing. It, it might put you on a performance cycle. You get loved when you're doing good. You're not when you're doing bad. The, the world tries to steal your humanness. Jesus wants to put it back in you. He wants to help you become fully human again. Fully human the way you were created when he envisioned you in your mother's womb. Jesus is not taking life away from you. He wants to give it to you. That's the intention and the plan of God. Followers of Jesus are moving people. We're heading somewhere towards healing, towards destiny, towards purpose. We're heading towards wholeness. Following Jesus takes us on a journey from who we are to who we are meant to be. Let me finish with this question for you. What's one thing that you believe but you know you're not following? What's one thing that you believe but you know you're not following? Maybe it's something in the written word of God, a lifestyle choice, a decision, a way of doing things, and you just know you're not doing it. Maybe it's something the Holy Spirit has spoken to you personally. I need to go and make that relationship right. I need to release forgiveness to that person. I need to, to, to bring into light that which is locked up in the darkness, the pain, the hurt I've never talked about. I need to sit down and I need to actually talk about it. You know, all these things are geared towards bringing you to a place of life and wholeness and destiny and purpose. That's all that God has for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loves us. He's trying to get life and goodness to us. What's that thing? What's the one thing that you believe but you know you're not following. You know you're not following. Maybe it's Jesus Christ himself. Maybe you know that you should take that step and you know you should open up your heart to him. Maybe you know you should invite him into your world, but you haven't done it yet and you keep making excuse after excuse after excuse. Let me tell you something. Not following Jesus costs you way more than following Jesus. That's the reality. 
Let's just close our eyes about our heads for a second. I'm going to pray for us. Afterwards, I'm going to get Daniel. Do you want to jump up on the guitar, Daniel? Daniel's going to play a bit here. If you want to hang around after this and just pray, worship, sit quietly, that's fine. The rest of us, uh, when I dismiss us in a second, I'm just going to ask us to head on out through the door. Let's grab our tea and coffee out there and let's, let's allow people to sit here and just sit with the Lord if they feel they need to. But I'm going to ask you a real simple question here. Is there anybody here today you have not given your life to Jesus? And you know that you should. You know that this is the right time for you. Just going to ask you to just throw your hand in the air. Just let me know. All good. For the rest of you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about that one thing. What's that one thing? I don't want you to get up and go away from here today and just get on with your day. I want you to do something with that one thing. That's how we transform. That's how we change. That's what being a follower means. We didn't say to Jesus, hey, I'm just going to follow you like Twitter. Press a button and it costs me nothing. It means nothing to me. Just keep me updated on what's going on, Lord. Following Jesus is not like that. Following Jesus is a daily decision. It's a daily surrendering of myself, my will, my choices to him. It's literally what would Jesus do in this moment, in this time, in this season? Lord, what are you saying to me? God has wisdom for you about that situation, wisdom for you about that circumstance. You Don't try to work it all out in your own brain. Listen to God. So, Father, I want to pray for each person that's here today, Lord. Father, I want to pray for, uh, uh, God, that one thing that people are thinking about right now. In Jesus' name, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you empower those people to do that thing that is on their heart right now in Jesus' name. God, would you empower them to take that radical uh, step, to be a radical responder to what it is that you're saying to them right now. That God, they could begin to walk towards healing. They could begin to walk towards wholeness. They can begin to walk towards their, their destiny, the purpose, the future that you have for them, God. And Father, for those that are here right now that, that are not walking with you, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you continue to speak to them? Open their eyes. Let them see the reality of the God that we believe in. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Here's what we're going to do. We want to create a bit of space. If you want to sit, think, pray, read, whatever, Daniel's going to stay up there on the guitar. Uh, For the rest of you, if you want to just move on through the doors there, we've got some tea and some coffee uh, out the back there. No food, unfortunately, still, but that's okay. Just have to... Hopefully that was a good enough meal for you. Bless you guys, and uh, we'll catch you later on.